Thanks, David. This week we are finishing up a sermon on, on the fall. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I, uh, I'm convinced that I don't know if you could ever really preach through Genesis 3. There's so much there. Um, there's just, again, I, I come to you and say that I'm ill-equipped and uh, God needs to help us through this. If you have Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read just a few verses, not the whole text. I'll begin starting in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for them loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, but I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Good and gracious Father, we are so thankful for your word and for its relevance in our life. We're grateful that it teaches us about you, but not only just about you, but about ourselves. And Lord, I humbly approach the text and I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. If you would so desire by the generosity of your heart and the grace and the mercy of of your love towards us, that you would allow me to, to be a participant this morning in speaking that truth. I pray, Lord, that we would actively listen, that we would be changed. I pray, Lord, that, that your word would do the work. And so, Father, I, I ask for your help this morning. I ask that you give grace to my hearers, and I pray that Jesus would be glorified. I pray this in his name. Amen. If you would, which I did a couple times over the last several days, and, and I'm not going to, I thought I would, but, in, and it's so funny, used to, my, my father every evening would get the paper, and it, then the paper was called the Evening Republic, and when dad would come home from work, he would grab the newspaper, he would find his spot in the home, which was, happened to be a recliner, kick off his wingtip shoes, and there he would begin to read the paper. Um, now we don't so much, we have a paper, but most people get their news uh, from other means, and, and I know that I receive my news mainly from, from electronic means. I have a phone, and there's a couple of sources that you go to, a couple of apps, and I've pulled my, my phone out over the last several days, and I've just scrolled down through the list of news. And to be honest with you, the headlines of the news articles or the, me, the media, trying to, they're, they're not really good news. It's, it's not, and we know that. If you turn on the TV, 
It's not, it's not uh, major headlines of good news of great joy. Um, when you look at it, some of the things that just immediately come to my mind this morning is, is financially. Um, the, Steve mentioned it in Sunday school. The market's down 11 to 15 or even some predict even greater. The, the market's down. So as he said, if you've got a retirement fund, it's probably worth less today than it was worth uh, a week ago this day. And so uh, then you could look at broken relationships. And there was a man who walked into a workplace in Milwaukee that I remember just this week. I didn't read much about it, but, but there was some workplace violence. And then health concerns. Uh, we can't get very far in today's news cycle without the coronavirus or this virus that seems to be impacting the globe, or at least that's what they would like for us to understand. And then there's death. There's death all of I mean, every day there's obituaries in our local newspaper. People that we know have, have uh, passed away. If you look across the landscape of our church family, you would see that we have troubling and trying and terrible times. And even in our prayer request, we talked about a little girl who has cancer. And, and praise God that uh, Jenny's here, but she's had surgery. And, and Bill and, and Loretta are going through some, some experiences that... that come at that point in life and and so what is the answer and sometimes we could just say what causes all this and last week I tried to attempt to say that Genesis 3 how we look at this section of scripture gives us a perspective on life and we either believe that we started out as perfection and something happened sin entered the world and and we're kind of getting worse until Jesus returns or we believe that we started as muck and mire and we're evolving into something perfect. And I believe that the Bible's teaching is the most appropriate and the true teaching of how this world. But it says for me how we got to where we are. And sometimes I think that we, or I should just say, sometimes I, I hope that there's a difference, but we're never going to escape this sin-ridden world, this fallen creation, until Jesus returns. But in Genesis chapter 3, I want to just quickly review what we talked about last week, and then we're going to talk about the consequences of sin this week in preparation for communion or the Lord's table. In Genesis 3, there's a few things that we see. We see very first, and it doesn't take the very first verse, we see a serpent, a talking serpent. And we talked about that. That's the personification of Satan. I believe there really was some animal that was an appearance of a form of a serpent or another word that used in conjunction with that is a dragon. There was some kind of reptile that was wiser and more cunning than any animal that God created. And we see that he's a powerful animal or a powerful creation. But we also notice that he's not omniscient and not omnipotent. Only God is that. And he's definitely not sovereign. He's not in control. The Bible teaches that Satan is a finite spiritual being. He's temporal and he's created. And he's evil. And he seeks to destroy you. And he seeks to destroy us. His goal was to overthrow God. He was a fallen angel. Last week, we also talked about the strategy of Satan. Well, how does he do it? How does he bring this evil into the world? And he always does two things. He always attacks the word of God or the truth of God, and he always attacks the character of God. How does he do that? He does that by, by que- have us start to question and contradict God and disobey God is the final result. What's the temptation? Last week, we reviewed that there's three lusts, the lust 
um, of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And it's the same strategy that he used all through the scriptures, even with Jesus. And then finally, we saw that this brought sin into the world. What is sin? If you look at Genesis 3, we're going to spend most of our time, but we'll flip through a couple of other passages of scripture. But in Genesis 3, we see that that's where it began, that she, Eve, began to to change and distrust the word of God. And then in verse 6 is the manifestation of that sin. That's when they literally took this fruit and ate of it. It's the thing that God told them not to do. I just want to remind you that they were in a perfect world. They had everything that they needed. Life was everything for them. But Satan began to change and twist the truth of God's word. And as it entered their hearts, they started believing Satan's lie. And brothers and sisters, I would say to you that that's what all sin is. It's when we start believing Satan's lies. When we start to doubt the word of God. When we start to believe that we're better than the word of God. That's where this sin comes into our lives. So this morning, here's the consequences of the sin. It's the part I didn't get to last week. I made, some few, I made a few changes, and so we'll get to it. If you flip over one page to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, I want us to see the results of Adam and Eve's sin. Here's my thesis, if you will. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, God only had one recourse. That was to keep, the, keep His word, and that's exactly what He did. Verse 22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take it, also the tree of life, and eat it, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man was banished, just as God said. Humankind was set out of the perfect paradise, the Garden of Eden. Life was in perfect harmony. They were in a perfect relationship with the Holy God. Their existence was perfect. It was designed as God had designed it to be. And the point of the ramification of sin would begin to unleash all of the effects of sin on our world. For a Christian... The world as we see it today is a result of the disobedience of our federal head, Adam, towards God. We live in a fallen world. The world around us is marred by sin. We see this morning the consequences of sin. The Bible says that when she took that fruit... Her eyes were open. They already knew the goodness of God, so they 
now were open to something else. They were open from the very thing that God wanted to protect them from, from evil. There was rebellion, and subsequently, that rebellion affected us. In my studies, I ran across a Puritan by the name of Thomas Brooks, who said when Adam fell, he broke all the Ten Commandments at one time. I just want you to think about that. And I, I'm, I'm quoting here from a little devotional from Thomas Brooks a couple hundred years ago. But listen to this, and it, this really impacted me. He said this. He said he broke all the Ten Commandments. For instance, the first commandment, he set up a new trinity, belly, self, and devil. He set all three ahead of the Lord. Anything placed before him is idolatry. He broke the second commandment. He set up his own means of worshiping the Lord, rejecting the ordinances that the Lord had plainly appointed. He broke the third commandment. He took the name of God in vain by despising God's attributes and profaning God's ordinances, his word and his works. He broke the fourth commandment. He cast away the Sabbath state of rest which the Lord God had created for him and sustained it with unholiness of everything that God had given him. He broke the fifth commandment. He refused to honor his Father in heaven. He forgot all of the duty of posterity and yielded to the temptation of casting off authority. He broke the sixth commandment. As covenantal head, he murdered himself, his wife, in one sense, and some other Puritans have said that Adam was the greatest and the most wicked of all murderers. That's, that's a powerful statement. He broke the seventh commandment. He committed adultery with the truth of the word of God and tried to cover his nakedness with fig leaves. He broke the eighth commandment. He stole what was not his own against the will of his owner, of, of, against the will of the owner and creator. He broke the ninth commandment. He bore false witness against the Lord by testifying that God's word was not to believe, to be believed. He broke the tenth commandment. He was discontent with the happy state in which God had placed him and coveted evil. Adam, in one fell swoop, broke all the Ten Commandments. Now, what are the consequences of this for us? Let's look at verse 7. Their eyes were both opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loincloths. They were enlightened for the first time in a way like they'd never known before. In this context, it means that they saw everything. And all of a sudden, they began to felt shame. Shame. They saw themselves in a condition which they did not know. Satan had told them, the serpent had told them, if they would just eat, they would be so much smarter and so much brighter and so much wonderful. But instead, they didn't get satisfaction. They didn't get happiness. They didn't become godlike. But instead, they became shamed. And as the course, they begin to cover their shame. 
I've often wondered why they grabbed the fig leaves, but look at what happened. They attempt to cover up their, their sin. They begin to do some work. The work, it's works righteousness. And I begin to think immediately about myself. And it doesn't take me very long to know that when I go against God's word, there's something inside of me that I feel shameful about. And what do I try to do? I try to cover it up, just like they tried to cover it up. Anybody else like me? So there's this shame that became upon them. Verse 8 says there's something else. Just walk down through the passage with me. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Rather than trying to take something so serious and make it funny, I, I, I don't want to do that. But when I, when I thought about this, I thought about little kids. Whenever they do something wrong, what's their first innate decision? They go to do what? They go to hide themselves. I, I get... I get tickled at, at our grandkids when when I see them they do I mean they, you can just see them trying to hide themselves and, and cover themselves from from the impun, impending doom that's coming their way and that's what sin does they hid themselves they separated themselves from God I would suggest to you that they didn't only separate themselves from God they separated themselves from others Satan had promised a fulfilled Life in every aspect of life. But instead, what did Adam and Eve experience was disruption in their fellowship with God and man. Let me speak practically to you. It's true of me, and I think it's probably true of you. When I start to believe the lie of Satan, when I start to go against what God's told me to do, you know what I tend to do? I tend to pull back. I tend to disengage. I tend to hide myself. And I would suggest to you that that may be the same pattern that most people do. When, when sin entered Adam and Eve's life, they pulled back from the Word of God. That's the very first thing that goes with me. As, as I noticed, my Bible reading just, just almost wanes away. They hid themselves. They were, they were walking with God in, in the created Garden of Eden, and they were in perfect fellowship, and they were in constant communication. And all of a sudden, when they sinned and took this fruit in, what happened? Communication stopped. And they stopped talking to God. And I would suggest that's true for us. I know it's true for me. Now, we live in a broken and fallen world and the consequences of sin are so evident in separation or disruption of fellowship. I would tell you that if you begin to look at the news cycle, let's go back and look at our current culture, how many stories are about broken relationships? Husbands and wives getting divorced and somebody getting mad at somebody else and shooting and killing them. I mean, even in Columbus just this past week, there was a homicide. Why? Why was there a homicide? Because sin entered our world. It, it came to a point where there was a disruption in somebody's relationship with one another. Does it make sense? 
Verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Jake's going to preach next week, I do believe, and he's going to talk about the gospel seen in, in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and I don't want to get into that, but, but I just want to tell you that there's a truth that we all need to understand in verse 9. Notice what God said. God said, where are you? Not where are you, but rather Adam, Eve, where are you? God knew where they were. He was omniscient. He knew everything. But, but rather what God is doing is seeking them. I hear people, and I've even said it myself, that's, that people are seekers. They're, they're seeking God. We don't ever seek God. God is always the one seeking us. I want you to think about that. Here it is in the, in the very first few chapters of the Bible. Here's God seeking man. And God is seeking us. And that's good news. Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. Adam was afraid. Fear. What was he fearful of? He was fearful because of guilt. For the first time, he experienced nakedness. And for the first time, his perfect state was interrupted. For the first time, he knew he had rebelled against God. And for the very first time in that rebellion, what happened? He was afraid. Have you ever done something wrong and, and afraid to get home to, to understand the consequences? That, that, that was true for me. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe nobody says this anymore. But my mom had this line that said, just wait till you're... That's exactly right. It didn't take me very long, guilty, to know there was fear coming. And that's what disobedience and sin does. It creates in us fear. But brothers and sisters, is that fear from God? No, it's really not. Because in 1 John 4, 8, it talks about God is the God of fear. No, God is the God of what? Love. And as a matter of fact, a few more verses down in 1 John 4, it says that, that fear is replaced or driven out by what? Perfect love. So what does Adam do? He begins to blame shift and he blames the woman. And I'm convinced that that's what we see in our behavior and people's behavior is dealing with guilt. Adam is trying to deal with guilt. People try to deal with guilt in a lot of ways. Sometimes they begin to try to numb themselves and they begin to use alcohol or drugs. Maybe they try to have fulfilling relationships so they go from one person to another trying to to cover their guilt and sometimes they sometimes people I I think when they get guilty they just they just react to it they become hard on the outside and they don't want anybody to come close to them and they are standoffish we we have all kinds of weird ways of covering our guilt I have a theory I'm not smart enough to to prove it but I think much of our drug problem in this world 
is not for people chasing a high. I, there's probably some of that. I think it's just a lot of people trying to figure out how to deal with this shame and this separation or disruption and this guilt. And Adam and Eve are no different. I don't think our new cycle is filled with anything any different than was here. So the consequences of our sin, of their sin, is shame and separation and guilt and finally death. Death. In verse 4, if you go back up there, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Do you see what he's doing? God had said, If you eat of this fruit, you will die. And Satan came and said to, to them, and I, and I say them because it's Eve, but I believe Adam's right there when this whole, and almost every scholar believes the same thing. Adam and Eve are right there in the presence of one or the other. And I believe Satan is saying, did God really say, I mean, surely God won't kill you. Surely God won't bring death to you. Don't believe God. And I think that is what he continues to do to us. Don't, God isn't really, he doesn't really expect you to be holy. He really doesn't expect you to follow him. He, his word really isn't true. I mean, if, you, if he really is love, then you can just do what you want to do. Don't believe God. But you have to go over a couple of chapters in Genesis. And it's just a very few words but I think they're powerful. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. I just want you to look there with me. Remember, Satan said, you won't die. You don't, don't believe God. He's not going to kill you. And in chapter 5, verse 5, just the, we find these words. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And then I just want you to notice, in the English Standard Version... There are three words that follow, and he died. It was the final consequence to sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's the point of my preaching this morning? Why why spend two weeks on the fall? It's because none of us have escaped sin or its effects. And none of us will escape the wages of sin. None of us. Even if we live to be 200 or 400 or 930 years, we will all Come to our death. But not just a physical death. In Revelation 21.8, it says for this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning. I, I, I know that I, I have an uncle that was in a church and during a revival and, and a preacher came and, and, and he scared, supposedly scared one of my uncles. And, and I, sometimes I think we need more of that preaching. And sometimes I understand it. That people get scared. But let me say to this out of love before we get to the Lord's table. I believe the Bible. I believe that God created us and that God wrote the Bible. I believe the Bible's true. I believe what the Bible says is true. I believe, therefore, that the wages of sin is death. I've lived long enough to see people live and die. I know death is coming. I know what happens after death if we believe. I also know that the Bible is very clear. If you aren't in a right relationship with God, there's the second death. It's total separation from God. And none of us will escape it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody here, every person in this world has fallen short of the glory of God and sin. That's the bad news. But let me give you the good news. If you have your Bibles, if you don't mind, turn to Romans 5. And if you think, man, we've been here a lot lately, it's because this is Paul's commentary on what we've been talking about. I once again want to read a few verses from Romans chapter 5. Listen to these words. Pay close attention. Starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. There's nothing new there. For sin was indeed was in the world before the law was given. We talked about that. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, meaning Adam brought sin into the world, therefore death came into the world, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abound Abound it for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Jake will expound on that next week. Paul is building on this, that man has no hope and is eternally lost without God. But the second Adam, Jesus, in his amazing grace, provided what Adam couldn't do. He provided a way out. He provided hope. He provided life. He gives us the avenue for the, our presence in the new Garden of Eden at the end of the table. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, this isn't original with me, but I 
I think it's worth saying. Satan told Eve, take and eat. And sin came in her fall. This morning, we hear those words from our Savior to take and eat. This time, it doesn't bring death. It brings life. It would be His sacrifice and His life that would redeem us and restore us to a right relationship with God. Only through faith in the work of Christ can we, will we not be cast out into utter darkness and the despair of hell. Sin has ravished our world, but Christ one day will restore it. And I have us turn to the back of the book one last time. Brothers and sisters, the reason I have you go to your Bibles is so you can see for it yourself. And this is the words that, that we're going to prepare for the Lord's table. Revelation chapter 21. I want you to think about all the problems that you have and all the bad stuff in the world. And I want you to think about all the things you can't explain and all the evil in the world and how bad life is and how terrible things are. And I want you to think about how the fact you, you, you just can't, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I just don't even believe I can go on another day. And there seems to be no hope. Then I want you to think about Jesus who died for you and for me who forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then I want you to think about these words. The Bible begins with a garden and it ends, if you will, with paradise. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Does it not sound like Eden? And God himself will be as their God. And I want us to focus in on these next words. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. If I may add, not to the word of God, but for explanation, there will not be infections, and cancer. There won't be the need for amputation. And somebody won't get killed and shot. And somebody won't be strung out on drugs. And someone won't be burdened with, with all the stuff that you can just think of. All the things. Anxiety and, and mental illness. And, and just like my, my aunts, my mom's my mom's sisters, they had Alzheimer's, and I watched them go through that, and, and it won't be there. There will be no accidents, and there will be no frustration, and no disillusionments, 
and no misunderstandings, there will not be any pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we live in a sin-fallen world because of our father Adam. Who disobeyed your word and your truth. And as a result, we bear sin in this world. I don't understand all of it. I don't understand the great mystery of evil. I don't know why you allow it. Lord, there's so many things that I don't know. But what I do know this morning, as we come and as we sing to prepare ourselves for your table, I do know that you tell us that there is hope. And that hope is in you. And that hope is through your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent as the Messiah to take away our sins and that we don't have to live in this state of unrighteousness, but we can count Christ's righteousness to ourselves, and we can live as one who is, who is in perfect harmony with you, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done through the work of the cross. Lord, I thank you for that. As we sing this morning and prepare our hearts, Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to us and remind us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that at this very moment has not entered into a relationship with you, that in this very second they would be drawn to you, repent of their sins, and trust Christ as their Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.